The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The following podcast may contain discussions supported by science that may be considered dangerous to some listeners and conspiracy theorists. Discretion is advised. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by Lucky Bastard Distillers, Saskatchewan's premier distillery, and by the Pilot Bowens Brewing Company, brewed in the heart of Regina. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast. You are listening to the internet's only There's a Sheep on the Field podcast. I'm Joel Gaston once again with Dan Plaster, as John apparently decided on his vacation that he was not going to watch the football game on Sunday. How how dare he? I'm back after a win. Yeah, that's also true. So I guess the flip side, if we were going to put a positive PR spin on this instead of making fun of John, I would suggest, as we did last week, in the past... I've only ever brought Dan Plaster on this program after they played pretty much like dog shit. Um, yes. But this week, the Riders actually won, and they probably should have won by more, but that's a whole other discussion. But the fact remains, they won, they found a way to win, and Dan Plaster is actually on the program. So are you saying they played like sheep shit? <laughs> I don't know, though. I did see a comment from someone that um, Mary Offert slipped on that return that got them into field goal range-ish on the final play because there was sheep shit on the field. I'm like, I I don't actually believe that for a second, but it was, it was still pretty funny. (laughs) And you know, if this was a different, I just, we're just off the rails already. You know, a sheep would be their mascot next year. Oh, absolutely. Like I actually, I said to Jamie Nye after I was toward the end of halftime. I'm like, okay, if they come out here, win this game, they have to do the rally sheep, right? Yes. And then, like, the first drive, Mason Fine throws that 42-yard touchdown bomb to Sean Bain Jr. And we're like, rally sheep, it's got to be a thing. Or they can call it the rally ram if they want, just because it sounds better, even though it wasn't a ram. But, I mean, this is a situation where a lot of teams, we've seen this in baseball a lot. You know, there's been the rally monkey and different things like that, where, hey, something dumb and weird happens, and then all of a sudden it leads to success embrace it have some fun with it like let's I, go it i will give them credit they did the next day they put up or yesterday whenever it was they put out the post on social media as they normally do pretty much every week about free shipping nationwide from the rider store online if you spend a certain amount this week they called it free shipping so it's, it's something it's a start it's i'm a hoping start. we see more at the next home game for sure a rally sheep if they win big it's a fleecing absolutely we could keep going, but it's just going to make everybody bark. But I, I wish they – I hope they do. And just uh, – you, you see like uh, sheepskin rider jerseys. You know? <laughs> it's just 
<laughs> I mean, in the winter, you can get out the oh. wool and make some really warm socks for people and just give them away at a game. Love it. Yeah. Keep it natural. I, I you know, you could, you could put like the the baying sheet. Is that what they call it? Baying when they make that weird noise. Sure. You put I it. Don't know. You could put it on there. Like, yeah. Well, because doesn't Calgary embrace that weird sprinting cow? Yes, they have the world's fastest cow. So that's yes. like a thing they do, I believe, at the first quarter or sometime in the first half. Yes. And they all, they have also they also have the CFL rabbit, which has run onto yes. Mose, onto uh, the turf at Mo- McMahon Stadium a fair bit. I don't know if they fully embrace the rabbit, but they have the world's fastest cow for sure. But it, I, we, the sheep is easy. Yes. Nobody else has it. No, like, and it's it's. I mean, there isn't. I don't think there's a ton of sheep farming in Saskatchewan. I'm sure someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but it still kind of fits in with the thing and with the province. And I don't know. I, I think it would be, it'd be really, it could be a really fun opportunity here for them to do something different, step outside the box and have a little bit of fun because I mean, it was a fun moment and the fans really got into it for anyone who may not know for some reason, listening to this podcast, um, (laughs) because we should probably explain because every podcast is someone's first, Mm -hmm. um, at the game Sunday night between, uh, the Riders and the Red Blacks. It was Country Roots Night. So they had like this little kids rodeo at halftime. I forget exactly what they called it. It was mutton something. Um, so they had a bunch of sheep in the gate like they do in the rodeo. And then the kids had to stay on the sheep for probably a few seconds or whatever it is. Uh, most of them failed spectacularly, which would have been funny enough on its own. Um, until they had the north end zone gated off. They had like the, you know, the big metal gates going all the way across to try to keep the sheep in that area so they're not running loose all over the field um, until one did run loose and made it all the way down. Like it, that sheep ran 110 yards all the way to the other end zone. The crowd went nuts. It was great. And then from there, it kind of started going zigzagging all across the field until they got it back into uh, the gated area. But uh, it was fun was had by all in that moment in halftime. And it's Probably one of the more memorable halftimes we've we've seen in quite some time because of it. <laughs> and it's great. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just... Uh, you're almost speechless, but how this is on a platter for them mm-hmm. to just take a hold. Like, watermelon helmets of yore, how it just kind of happened and it wasn't forced. Just everybody just kind of started to do it in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Just kind of... Let, let's have this happen in mm-hmm. something neat and its own and it's not copied from anything else. Absolutely. I mean, like, and it feels like the watermelon stuff has generally run its course. I don't see a ton oh, of it 100%. anymore. It has. That's, yeah. So this I is, think... this is something new that can kind of yeah. revive the sort of, you know, the fun and the maybe dr- encourage a few fans to show up because they say, Hey, this is, this is the thing that's happening now and it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And it's the first kind of fun thing at this new stadium too. Absolutely. Um, of course, winning, is always fun at the new stadium or any stadium if you're the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And they did it. They ended a three-game losing streak. And, you know, I it's maybe a little bit of hyperbole that, you know, last year in a win over Ottawa, the season turned. Could the same thing be happening this year? We'll see. I mean, they there's a lot of positive signs from that game. And we'll get into those. Mason Fine looked good. The receivers looked good. And it's important to note that while everything was pretty positive from that and they could be going in a good direction now, don't read too much into what happens this week against Montreal. We'll get into that as well. But to me, the most sort of interesting factor from that game was decisions by both head coaches in that game. And I talk a lot on this program 
with John especially, that I am very much a process over results kind of guy. Especially, you know, especially in the CFL, the first good chunk of the season, where all you really have to do is kind of float around long enough and then get hot and hit at the right time to really succeed in the playoffs. Um, so it really kind of how you approach the game and sort of the decisions you make along the way tend to pay off in the long run versus just straight up winning football games, even if you're doing things poorly. Is That's basically sort of the gist of process over results. And there were kind of three instances where we saw sort of two positives from both teams of, po- of process over results and one really, really bad one from the Ottawa Red Blacks. Um, the first one, which was, we'll give Ottawa credit for this one. I thought it was good. I know a lot of people didn't agree when they had the... They were down deep in the rider end zone, right around. I don't exactly remember where they were on the field. They were pretty close, and it was a second and one, and they did that sort of fake. They did the fake sneak and nearly got a touchdown out of it, but just missed. And then on the third down, they went for it, which they should have because it was like third and one. They didn't quite, they didn't get it, obviously. They got stopped. The riders got the ball back, and everyone thought, oh, man, Bob Dice made this huge mistake, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no. In that scenario, everything they did was right. You just didn't quite execute well enough. And I hate how, and I agree with you, I yeah. I am always, when you're that close within the 20, who knows you're going to get that close again. And I think especially I kind of like when you're in a second and one situation, taking a shot every once in a while. Because one, you may actually succeed in catching the other team napping and score the touchdown like Montreal did earlier this year. When two, you do kind of keep the defense guessing a little bit as to whether you, maybe you're going to take that shot again. So maybe it loosens them up just a touch enough on the defensive line to get that first down. But what I don't like is how a lot of people say that field goal would have been the difference. No. But but would it? Would like, it? honestly, would it? Because because the, the the thing people often – is that one was before the three-minute warning, if I remember yes, correctly, right? there is – yes. So Ottawa kicks that field goal. Theoretically, I believe they take the lead at that point if they do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, one fine, point. whatever. But you've gone from the 15-yard line or wherever they were – now the riders can say, okay, we'll take the ball at the 40-yard line, and you've completely flipped the field even if you go two and out. Yeah, so what's what did you accomplish? Yeah, exactly. You, you accomplished going down two again. So I'm with you on that one. I just thought it was, yeah, I. but you and me usually agree on these things yes. 90% of the time. Yeah, I, so I, I just like to talk, this, I like like to talk about this stuff out loud because a lot of people are still kind of caught in sort of, you know, take the points or whatever thought process there is these days, yeah. or there used to be at least. There's um, one I don't like that you might have liked, hmm. so we'll, we'll, we, will, we will have good podcasting. Okay. <laughs> um, then, of course, that followed up. I believe it was the next series, even. The Riders, they had their own third and one, I believe, at their 20 or so. Yeah. It was even, it was like less than a yard they had to get. They didn't get it. Again. This one I would have punted. I wouldn't have. I, I think it was, I think Craig Dickinson was right to go for it. Um, I just, they just they have to execute that, and there's no excuse for them not to execute it. I don't know if it's Jake Delagallo is struggling with it. I don't know if the O line is struggling with it, but that was and credit to Ottawa for making the play too. Of course, we can't forget that. But I would have gone for it 100. percent I think Craig was right to do it. Punting wouldn't would have been have. the worst. Like it wouldn't have been a punt. I probably would have roasted him for. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen some in the past from some coaching decisions, but. I, I liked him going for it. I think that was sort of the general consensus in the press box was you got to be able to pick that one up. But even if it was from the 40, it would be 100% of the time. I would be super on the fence on that one. That one, I just, the way they were, the way their cover teams were playing, the way they were 
punting. Like, I just, and how bad the offense was going for Ottawa, I think I would have punted that ball. That was Ottawa. It just kind of nullified what Dice did earlier, the stop they did earlier. It just nullified anything they accomplished. It did weirdly end up saving them some time, though. Because yeah. if, if, they, if they punt, Ottawa can sort of sustain a longer drive to kick that field goal to take the lead, and maybe you don't have as much time to respond with mm-hmm. your own field goal. So in a sense, it worked out, and they only got... And I can see your point, had the Red Blacks done what they should have done mm-hmm. like a few plays later. So they got down to the one-yard line. It was third and one. And Bob Dice kicks the field goal. I... Oh! And so I, I am, and Are you, I am that's like, the one that kills me. And like, I feel like I am like, it had to have been because he didn't pick up the other one that he was, yeah. he was scared. I hope yeah. that was maybe the reasoning behind it. If he was going to do that regardless, then, you know, and like I, you and I both have the utmost respect for Bob Dice. We love the one man. Of our favorites. I want this to work for him and for Kahari Jones and for Baron Miles, because they're such a lovable, likable coaching staff. But that decision is just, one of the most baffling, most cowardly decisions I've ever seen. Because, okay, even if you don't pick it up, the Riders are on their one-yard line, and you can easily... That offense had also pretty much stalled out, and mm-hmm. you could easily stop them in field goal range still when you get the ball back. 100%. So I, you, that was that, There's magic. a decision where, to me, that's a no-brainer. You go for it 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. 1,000% of the time. I know there's no such thing, but that one, I just... <laughs> I... I mean, we could argue over the first two. Yeah. That one, there is absolutely no argument over. I don't know how anybody could have a leg to stand on when, when it comes to defending that. No, and like I remember I was sitting there, I was watching it, and there was some confusion beforehand about potential penalties or whatever, the whole thing before it, and we didn't know exactly what was going on. And then I'm like, Bob, no. No, Bob, what are you doing? No. <laughs> so I see Lewis Ward trot out there. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, Bob, what are you doing? Because th- these those types of field goals never win you football games. Even if yes, you had the lead for like thirty seconds, some karma kicks in, as it did, and Mary Alford had a pretty good return. They mm-hmm. got lucky that the Riders couldn't drive it just even five yards further to make that a more sure thing of a field goal. But you just knew the Riders were going to respond because generally, when you kick a field goal that cowardly, it comes back the other way, no matter which league of football we're talking about. Yeah, and it. It's funny how much of a momentum swing a one-yard field goal is. Yeah, away, especially when you took team. over in the red zone. Yes, <laughs> it was just like, oh no. Yeah, I can see and, them and kicking just... that field goal. How they started at their thirty and made it all the way down there, and there was like thirty seconds left. Sure, maybe, <laughs> but yeah, then maybe you give yourself a chance to win in that scenario. But yeah, but with a buck fifteen left, <sighs> no. Yeah. When the clock stops and every play until it gets whistled in and then and then of course then after the game dice talking to the media says he didn't regret the decision he just regretted where the where he had richard leone kick the kickoff which okay yeah maybe you made a poor kickoff decision but you should have been making that kick up kickoff decision up six mm-hmm. maybe even seven you could have gone for two and really put that thing out of reach just, well, that would have been a fun next talking point. Of thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we'd be talking about. The Riders score by a touchdown because they didn't go for two. It's just yeah. one of those games that that probably would have happened. I mean, that's just the way things have gone at home the last three games for this team. And I was I was joking because I was talking with uh, 
Red, uh, Red Blocks play-by-play guy, AJ, AJ Jackabek, in the press box before the game. And he's like, he's like, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know. Like We were talking about how the line was set before the game at 44, and neither of us really thought they were going to get there. But then I was like, but... I mean, the last two games at home, some weird stuff has happened here. And sure enough, there we were at the end of that game again after sort of a normal football game for about 55 minutes. Things just went sideways in a hurry, and it was it was entertaining as hell. <laughs> it's if you have if you have rider tickets, just show up for the last five minutes. It feels like a basketball game. Yeah. Just show up for the last five minutes. But yeah, it's uh, I when nothing's easy. No, that really grinds on a team. Oh, for sure. And then, like I, we've we've talked about this before. Like it is not encouraging that this team. You know, like the games against Edmonton and not necessarily every game against Ottawa, but specifically like say that game against Ottawa, that they couldn't just put their foot down and put it away. They should have. And they're so they, like, then they haven't really done that much in the Craig Dickinson era period. And I, I don't know the reasoning behind that. I don't know if it's the player makeup, if it's, uh, you know, sort of the attitude, what the, or just pure bad luck, who knows. But again, it happened because they were there, like they had the foot three quarters of the way down and all of a sudden Jake Dalagala fumbles that ball and it's in the end zone and it's game on. <laughs> and, and it's always something. And yep. like, what are they stick it and snap it? And I just, they've stuck it. This was like the knife was in, they just couldn't snap it off. And it just, I just, that's one of the, I th- out of anything that has been the most frustrating with this football team over the past few years mm-hmm. It's not wins and losses. It's always the how. Yeah. And it's just, you're going, just put it away. If you would have put it away, it would have been like this. And I don't know. I, I just, even though, even look back at the Calgary game when Trevor Harris got hurt, yeah. they could have put that one away. Yep. And it, nothing would have happened. So it's, it's the how that just, it's just soul killing. Mm-hmm. It is, but. For once, we can get into this. There was there was some positive how so out of that game, especially on offense that we have not seen in a long time. I would say even arguably when Trevor Harris was the quarterback of the team, mm-hmm. um, there wasn't as much positive out of that game, uh, out of those games offensively even. Um, most encouraging, number one, and it's, is always because quarterback play in football is always the most important, was the play of Mason Fine. And the discussion coming into that game wasn't so much, I mean, there were a lot of people out there who thought he shouldn't have started. I wouldn't have hated the decision, but I, you know, you and I both talked last week how ultimately he deserved to start against a team that wasn't one of the top two teams in the league and show what he can do. Just maybe on a bit of a tighter leash than we had seen over the past two games. And we ultimately never really had to find out how tight that leash was because that was easily the best start of Mason Fine's career. And I would argue maybe the best the offense looked all season. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. 
Oh, I would agree with that because it was efficient, yeah. boring, yet still hit on some big plays like the mm-hmm. 42-yard touchdown and the no interceptions and even just a lot of the simple things that I know you're going to go through. Like even Mason Fine keeping clean, not just the offensive line keeping him clean, but mm-hmm. he's finally starting to figure out how to keep himself clean. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, like, the book clearly opened up for him a little bit. We saw, of course, you mentioned the 42-yard touchdown pass to Sean Bain Jr. Um, he had the he had another 37-yard big reception to Sam Emelis as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there was a couple of big plays there that we generally haven't seen in a while, even from Trevor Harris, quite frankly. Um, there was just a lot that worked well. And it was also interesting, we finally saw Mason Fine use his legs a little bit, which was nice. I mean, not outstanding, not like, Dustin Crum like numbers or anything we've seen from the guy in the past, but just five for 17 took off when he had to didn't necessarily take a big hit there either. You know, he didn't really have to slide a whole lot either, but he made the plays when he had to, he was smart with the football. He distributed it around. I mean, one, two, three, four, five guys were targeted at least seven times, five times. Sorry. Then like between seven and nine, five and nine times, those guys were targeted and he also targeted himself once for eight yards. So <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to look for that. It's like, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Cause it would like, eth- I don't remember exactly what happened, but it like, it bounced off. I believe the, like it hit the defensive lineman bounced up in the air and then he caught it and ran. So yeah, he got one reception for eight yards. And the joke was he may be the one of the leading quarterbacks in rider history for receiving yards now. <laughs> Oh, Ole Vanstone could come up with something like that. Yeah, yeah, we didn't actually look up the numbers on that as well. So, as I've done in the past, I am one of those guys who is not afraid to admit when he was wrong. Um, I've had my questions about Mason Fine and how effective he can be. I'm still not positive that he's truly a starting quarterback in this league. But for now, he is capable of winning them some football games and keeping them in, keeping them in this mess of a race for third in the West. And that's all they want. That's all they want right now. Just keep it in. And as things improve, as the rest of the team improves around him, mm-hmm. hopefully gets healthy. But I like this five sum of receivers that were out yeah. this week. It was or it was a nice change of pace, yeah. um, especially with Jareth Stearns going in as well. Yeah, uh, which, which I mean, I think we all kind of raised an eyebrow when the depth chart came out and. He was in there, and they put Frankie Hickson on the practice roster. Everyone's like, okay, I mean, Hickson's pretty good. What are, what are we doing here for this receiver we don't really know a whole lot about? And, well, I mean, apparently Stearns maybe should have been in the lineup sooner. <laughs> because him and Mason Fine are brothers in Air Raid. Yeah. Because, well, Stearns is from Western Kentucky, which they ran Air Raid because they came from Houston Baptist. And then, and then Mason Fine under Graham Harrell at North Texas, also air raid. And it's all under the guise of, of Cliff Kingsbury and Mike Leach. Like, I mean, it's just, it all comes back to Texas tech and Mike Leach. So those two guys, maybe Kelly Jeffrey threw in some, I don't know, some, there was definitely no four vert. There's definitely no five vert. No. So, but maybe just maybe a little bit of air raid concept in it to help them out. A lot of good RPO. I do like the RPO that they run. And folks, when you hear some color analysts say that's an RPO, no, that's a play action. The one when you see Mason Fine 
fake to the receiver, a fake to the running back, and rolls usually to his right, and you see two or three layers of receivers, that is true RPO. And yeah. that's what he was very successful with as well this week, too. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something we you obviously see a lot in college, and it's something mm-hmm. that helps um, underperforming offenses without truly elite quarterback play to sort of take their offense to the next level and keep sort of the defense on its on its toes a little bit because you don't know exactly what he's going to do. I don't I don't believe in any of those situations. Maybe once I think Mason Fine actually called his own number. Like I think like he had one pretty good run and some of his other runs I think were more the play kind of broke down and he took what he can get kind of thing. But at least once for sure I remember in that situation he decided, nope, the option is me now and I'm gonna go. Yep. And that, and he's the fourth option. Yeah, so I mean it's good to see. It's good to see stuff like that happen because I think for a long time, and, and this isn't just a rider issue. I mean, we we saw with Jason Moss before. We've surely seen it with Stephen McAdoo with many teams now. And some of the other offensive coordinators in this league maybe just don't really adjust sort of their thinking throughout the course of the year enough at times. And, you know, we... we we still don't know whether Kelly Jeffy really has the chops to be a long-term offensive coordinator in this league, but at least we saw something different. He's made mm-hmm. a, he made an adjustment to benefit his players on the fly rather than just keep beating them against the wall with the same thing every week. And passes, you see completions of 20 and 42 and 37 and 18. Like it's just nice to see that the ball traveling through the air to collect mm-hmm. yardage instead of, a quick out route or a dig or something like that. Just yeah, there, there aren't there aren't enough plays and there aren't enough downs in the CFL to throw three four yards at a time all the way down the field all game long. There just mm-hmm. isn't. You need to get those chunk plays in order to succeed and score touchdowns in this league. No matter what anyone else says about clock management and establishing the run and all that stuff, in the CFL you need chunk plays to succeed. Fifty fifty run pass is fifty percent stupid. Mike Leach again. <laughs> yeah, and you, you we, we've talked about Stearns. We've talked about the play of you know of Bain Jr. and these guys, and I think that's Emelis. another all of them, all of them. Yeah, I mean Sam Emelis made a big catch. Tevin Jones had a quiet game, but made a good made a you know made an important catch. Jake Winicky made another of important catches as well. And to me, that's sort of the other interesting aspect from the offense from that game. As good as Mason Fine was and as much progress as we saw from him in that game, he got a lot of his help from his receivers as well, which it feels like it's been a few years since we've seen that around here. Yeah, because it's always been like just one, and it, that one would rotate game to game on who that one would be, but to just, it just, I hate saying everybody was on the same page, but it just felt like, a, a cohesive unit from mm-hmm. the five offensive linemen who played great. This was their best game of the year as well. And it just was a cohesive 15, 16 man unit as players rotate in and out. Mm-hmm. And I, I think too, like the receivers, you know, made some fine made steps forward and made good plays, but he got some help from his receivers too, which a young quarterback is going to need. I mean, like Sam Emelis went up and got that 50-50 ball. Jake Hennett, Jake Winicky hung on to a football where he took a big hit. Oh. Um, 
you know, Stearns made a few catches in tight coverage and in different spots. I and mean, Winicky went up and adjusted to a ball that was probably going to be overthrown if he didn't make the right adjustment and catch that ball, right? So there were plays that we saw from the receivers that we didn't necessarily see in the past. Like, you know, no offense to those guys, but and they were good at one point, but Shaq Evans and Kyron Moore and those sorts of guys kind of stopped being able to do that for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because they just, they've just gotten too banged up or what the deal is, but it was refreshing to see, okay, Mason Fine's playing better, and that's important, but he can actually get some help from his receivers if he needs it too, and you need that sometimes, especially with a young quarterback like Mason Fine. And a young group other than Jake Winnicky. Yeah. I mean, Jake's not old, but no. I mean, like Jones, Bain Jr., Emelis, and Stearns, they, this is a young group, and... I think that's also another positive because I know that's another thing we've been saying. When are the riders going to develop their own receivers? Well, there's four right mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I mean, this is a saw. I mean, you, I mean, we're still waiting on Keon Schaefer Baker to come back, mm-hmm. which will fifth, add, which will add to this offense right now. And I mean, Bain Jr. is really the interesting one to me because you look at everything he's doing this year, and you, I just continue to wonder how Calgary let him get away. Like, he looks like a kind of guy that could be helping that offense tremendously right now. <laughs> so much so. I And that's not, the, that's not the kind of guy Calgary usually lets walk. The guys that Calgary usually lets walk are the 35-year-olds who maybe have a couple years left. At least historically, that's what we've seen from them. So we're kind of surprised to see this sort of younger guy with some pretty good skills leave and actually prove Calgary wrong. Maybe that's just indicative of what that organization's going through, too. They just don't know what direction they're going. And their loss is the riders' gain, I guess. I, I, you, you really don't know because you're right. It, they were very much of kind of in the Wally Buono mold of mm-hmm. you hit 31, we're cutting you. It doesn't matter if you had a 1,000-yard receiving season, you're old, so please leave. So I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I completely baffled as baffled as you are yeah that i mean the riders will obviously take it and jeremy o'day deserves a ton of credit or whoever watched the film on this guy and said this is a guy we need to add to the team whoever you know whoever stumbled upon that and made that decision deserves a ton of credit for signing him because i remember when they signed him in the off season there was kind of a okay who is this guy mm-hmm. right and and, and now he he's like, arguably he's their best receiver yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it was kind of one of those. I mean, it definitely went under the radar, but it was one of their even they promoted it as mm-hmm. one of their key signings during the offseason. Obviously, the and, team was high going in on him going into it, and they rightly should have been. And they deserve credit for that. Man, I hope he has a lot of bonuses coming to him. <laughs> Just cash in. Please uh, cash absolutely, in. Absolutely, yeah. Um, But we don't know if the writers are going to cash in on this momentum heading into Friday night now as they uh, they have to shift their focus very quickly to playing the Montreal Alouettes um, because the game was Sunday they obviously had Monday as an off day and according to the, the team's schedule this week they had team meetings today on Tuesday uh, no actual formal practice so they are there will pr- they will practice on Wednesday doors closed and then they will travel out to Montreal on Thursday so Essentially, they have one practice day and the walkthrough in Montreal before this game because, once again, the league has set them on a ridiculous schedule that has them playing on a Sunday night, at least at home this time, uh, playing Sunday night at home 
heading across the country as far east as you can go in a regularly scheduled game in a location to Montreal to play on Friday night. So um, they, that's not to say they may not pull one out. Things Weirder things have happened. Maybe Montreal has a really bad night and they catch a few breaks and they win. But on paper, I would be very surprised if the Riders won this football game. Boy, would that be a season-turner, though, to pull this one out of their hat. Oh, boy. But, yeah, the schedule. And it's not just the Riders. Everybody gets a – like, instead of bye week, they should call it raw deal week. And this is the Riders. You get two raw – yeah, you get get two buys and two raw deals. And this is raw deal number two. It's Uh, it's not as bad of a raw deal as when they used to make that – the, like, teams play twice in a week. When they tried to have fewer bye weeks with nine teams, or like one team played on like a Tuesday and then you played on Sunday, kind of thing, um, and then you'd get a bye normally. But uh, yeah, this still isn't great, and especially on the heels of playing in BC one week and Halifax the next, not too long ago, and then they made Toronto go out to Calgary after playing in Halifax last week, and we we saw the results of that one. Uh, injury to Chad Kelly aside, it's just they seem to do this to teams and. I I, do, I really don't know why it's not more of a discussion. Um, it never comes up on the broadcast that the, you know the, of the travel of these teams. Like they just expect every game to be played at its highest level, no matter what happened and sort of how they got there and what the road to get there was. Because I don't know, BC played on a short week into Winnipeg last week, and we saw the results there as well. I wonder if we should do a how do they do it in the Western Hockey League? They always go. Uh, each year they, well, back when I was in the Western Hockey League, is they would always have which team traveled the furthest, mm-hmm. and it's usually Brandon. Yeah, and, and, and it's going it to was, be Brandon again with Winnipeg out to the middle of nowhere in Washington it, State. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always going to be Brandon, and then they used to combine it with the Ontario and the Quebec, and it would be nine Western League teams, and then maybe Sault Ste. Marie, and yeah. and it's. It, 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 Maybe somebody should – maybe we're going to speak a graphic into existence. But like you're right, I don't think – they don't bring it up too much on the, on the TSN broadcast. No, we'll never see it on TSN. But I don't, know, I don't know. I mean, it's probably the same for most of the Western teams, if we're being honest. Um, but – and I understand scheduling's hard. And this is a large country geographically. And when you only have nine teams, there's only so much you can do. And – you know, maybe every team's going to get stuck with one of these a year, but it seems like it happens more than once, and it happens every single year. Like, it's, it doesn't feel like it's even much of a consideration when they go into scheduling for some reason. And this isn't even, like, this isn't an excuse for losing football games. This isn't even about no. losing football games. It's not about the outcome of football games. But if we're talking about player safety, I mean, we saw how many Argo players got hurt in Calgary last week after playing in Halifax the week before. We see the effect it has on the quality of the games. So if you're looking at it from, you know, bird's eye perspective, from the league perspective, where you don't really care what the outcome is, you want to avoid this kind of scheduling just to give yourself the best chance to have good games every week. Yeah, just entertain us, and that's not entertaining. That that game between Toronto and Calgary was putrid. Yeah. That was one of the harder games to watch all year and then see Kelly get hurt. I it, yeah, it's I I hope the game in Montreal is entertaining, but I'm not holding out too much hope. No, me neither, especially with it looks like Cody Fajardo they're talking like he might play, but he didn't practice on Tuesday and I mean we 
I mean, the guy would probably play because he play tries to play through anything, and for some reason, no one tells him no. Um, so whether he plays or not, I mean, if he doesn't play, that'll affect the quality of the game, and if he plays hurt, that'll affect the quality of the game. Add in the riders traveling, and I mean, Montreal is a Montreal is a tough place for Western teams to go on a full week, let alone a short one. So, yep, and there is no two nights in Montreal to get the first night out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would... There has been a few times this year where I've seen because of um, traveling issues with the state of our airlines in this country, the riders have actually sort of stayed an extra day after a few games this year on the way back. Um, but yeah, nothing like that on the way out, unfortunately. <laughs> nope, that used to be a... Yeah, always the extra day. Boy, do the guys like it. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.